that I take the opportunity this morning just to kind of give you an update on on the church that I pastor. Uh, many of you know me, some of you don't. My name is Bob Emberley, and uh, I grew up in uh, the church here. Came here to this church when my uh, parents moved to Andover, Massachusetts, when I was in sixth grade. Of course, the church at that time was in was in North Andover. And uh, Bob the Usher, I don't know his last name. Seems like every fourth guy here is named Bob. So remember my name. My name is. My name is Bob. Um, asked me when I came to Christ, and I came to Christ when I was in ninth grade as a result of hearing the gospel message proclaimed in my family and through the church ministry here. I'm very grateful for uh, Fellowship Bible Church, its place and God's plan in bringing me to Christ and in bringing me to the importance of uh, the proclamation of God's word. Um, after pastoring for 16 years in Dublin, New Hampshire, the Mountain View Bible Church, the Lord directed our family about two years ago to take a small church in Northfield, Massachusetts, just about 30 people there. They didn't have a pastor. Not many men were beating down the door to go to the church there. Just a, a small church, the size of the building itself is about the size of half the volleyball court. It, it fits 60 people, literally. And uh, when we came, there was about 30 people there. That the, uh, the old building was originally used as one of the schoolhouses that Deal Moody uh, was a Sunday school teacher in. In fact, Northfield, Massachusetts is known for Deal Moody. The school that he started is still there. Uh, Northfield Mount Hermon, no longer does it proclaim the gospel. Although a number of years ago, they have two campuses, the older campus with D.L. Moody's birth site, a home, and uh, uh, some of the old historical buildings, his auditorium where the Bible conferences took place. See, I, Schofield preached there and others. Um, they they uh, sold that part of the campus, and the other campus across the Connecticut River is still functioning, just a beautiful campus. And uh, But the old campus, they were looking for a buyer. And uh, just this past year, the C.S. Lewis Foundation purchased that campus. They hope to start a Christian college there. And I'm um, looking forward to ministering to the students that come out into the community in, into Northville. And so the building that we use um, has great history in it. In fact, there's an old uh, gentleman in our church. He's uh, 90 years old. His name is Homer. We actually have two Homers in our church. And uh, Homer went to school there in 1926. And every Sunday he tells me that. I sat right here in this Risbury seat. And uh, then 30 seconds goes by and he tells me again, I sat right here. And uh, Homer uh, sits in the back. And uh, he with another older gentleman, uh, Tom. And uh, if you ever saw the Muppets and the two old gentlemen that sit up in a, it's It's kind of like that as they, uh, as, they, as they critique my sermon and everything I do. Of course, they're hard of hearing, so they nudge each other and everyone hears them. And it's... Uh, but we have some number of young folks as well, and God has given us a good uh, demographic in that church. And and now uh, we had about 30, 35 that came out. Now we have about uh, uh, 60 that come out on a, on a full Sunday, filling out our church. We average between 45 and 50, and so God has added four or five new families. In fact, uh, past Sunday we were out. Last two Sundays we had new families coming in with children, and and uh, and uh, um, just um, it's great to see that. I took that church as, as just a burden to see the gospel work. Um, and sometimes you get in, in a church where you've been a while and you could do nothing and you'll always have people. And I was burdened to go to a place where um, there was a need to hear the gospel and a need to uh, uh, for someone to come in and take the church. And I learned very quickly, I'm not sufficient for that. It, there's safety where you've been. It's scary to step up. God doesn't call everyone to step up. And we took that church, 
A lot of challenges. One of the challenges is um, I'm a bivocational pastor. I, I teach, in, not teach, I'm a tutor in a, a public school in Keene, New Hampshire. I work with autistic children. I'm a one-on-one inclusion tutor. Learned a lot in that situation. A lot about me, a lot about community, a lot about people who need Christ. And uh, uh, making friends with people. Not Sometimes I feel like evangelism at times in my ministry was mercenary. The only time, reason I was getting to know people was, you know, you know, just want to, you know, introduce them to Christ. And there's a sense, there's a strength in that, but sometimes it comes across like, I really don't care about you. I just want to get you in my church. And you know what I mean by mercenary? It just comes, you know, it's fake. And now I'm meeting people that are my friends who happen to not know Christ. How many people do you love that don't know Christ? That you're building relationship with and they're seeing Christ in you. And so it's been good for me to be there, but it's been hard as well. Um, and uh, hard for my family, hard for just ministry, and yet there's been strength in that as well. I could go on further, um, and so and so pray uh, for that. We are we are burdened to see the church grow as a result of people who are hungry to hear God's word. It's hard to be a smaller church. There are larger churches that have all the bells and whistles. Why come to Community Bible Church? This building that doesn't even have an occupancy permit, and the building inspector knows that he's okay with it, but. Um, you know, we've got a little tiny youth group and a little tiny church and Homer and Tom in the back. And and yet in spite of all that, people are coming because they want to hear God's word taught. There is a there is a need to have ministry and programs to 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 minister to people. But if that's the only reason people are coming out, what can you do for me? What can you do for my kids? Eventually that comes old. What you have to do to get them, you have to keep doing to keep them. We want to keep people who are hungry to hear God's word. They have the life of Christ in them. They will come out. Trust that God will, will grow us that way. Whether he grows us numerically or not, it doesn't matter. He grows us spiritually. Praise God. But there's nothing wrong with numerical growth either. Acts says that they, they increased in numbers and grew in faith. We want to see that. By God's grace, recently someone in town who owns a, a a gas station there that's no longer there offered us an acre of land right there in town. He's going to give it to us. There's some issues with uh, a gas station and stuff in the soil, but you know we're working that out, and uh, they will cover that. So, so pray for that, and uh, pray for uh, for Northfield, a place rich in gospel heritage, a place of Deal Moody, um, and people there need Christ. Um, and so, so pray for us. And if I can give you a Macedonian call, come over and help us. Okay? If you can live anywhere, not trying to steal away people from Fellowship Bible. Well, I guess I am. Uh, no, uh, you can work anywhere. Work in Northfield. Come over and help us. There's a need. If God would so work. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 10. If you've been with us the last couple days or the last day, um, these messages are messages that I've recently preached at Community Bible Church, and that's what I do when I come to conferences. If I've come here the last three years, it's just really pull out messages that I've recently preached. And we're within the book of Romans. We're looking at sanctification, the fruit of the Spirit. This is where we're at. In fact, today I'm going to deal with love, deal with that in Sunday school, enjoy this evening, and then next week at Community Bible Church, I'm going to deal with the next fruit of the Spirit. And so you're just dropping right in, boom, where we are at, at Community Bible Church. And just so you know, this is a text when I preach it that I use in conjunction with the Lord's Table. And uh, and so, you know, typically the first Sunday of the month we have the Lord's Table. We're not doing that this morning, but just so you know the context. 
Uh, and whenever we come to the Lord's table, I seek to set aside a message that focuses on Christ's death for us rather than the Lord's table just becoming something we do at the end and just making the service go longer, but something that is focused on Christ's death for us. You may be weary. To, if you slept in a tent last night, it's not you may be weary. You are weary. The ground is hard. I know what it is. As we pray today, and I close my eyes to feel the fatigue <laughs> coming over you. And I was almost resting in the Lord, trying to give good attention to, uh, to prayer. And may God, by His grace, give us good attention to His Word this morning. Um, I believe that He will. First John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This text reminds us as we come to the Lord's table or as we have opportunity to come to the Lord's table, we ask, you know, why are we here? Of all people, why are we privileged to come to this table as children of God? I think even as I preach this morning, why is it that of all people, you get to be here? There are other people that are enjoying the sunshiny day, doing other things, and yet you, by God's grace, get a chance to hear God's word proclaimed and hear the gospel once again. Why you? Why me? Is it that God saw something of worth in you and me over against all the rest of the sinners out there? Is that why? Is it that God looked, looked down from heaven and saw that we had a love for him that others do not have? That we had an affection for him that set us apart Catching God's attention. There's Bob Emberley. He has a heart for me. So I'll make sure that he's my child. Is that it? No. That's not what this text says. The text reminds us that it's not our love for God that initiated our relationship with him, but rather his love for us. A love that was based on nothing in us, but solely on God's grace. God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but he saved us because of his great mercy. And Romans 9 says, speaking of Jacob, before he was born and had done nothing, either good or bad. Get that? He had done nothing. God didn't look down and say, this Jacob, he's done some good things. He's more worthy than these other people. Before Jacob has done nothing good or bad, Jacob, I have loved. Again, the point I want to make is this, that it is because of God's grace that we are saved. Because of God's mercy that we are his children. It's not due to anything in us. It is his love, his grace. His mercy. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, makes this clear as he talks about his people Israel. God reminds the children of Israel why they had been set apart as God's people. And God says, You are a people set apart and holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. Why? Why? Well, it was not because you were more in number or more noble than all the other nations, for you were fewer in number. It wasn't as though Abraham, when he was set apart, was somehow had something for God that caught 
the Lord's attention, that he was a worshiper in the way the others weren't. He was a pagan. And yet God loved him. Why? Israel. More in number, more worthy, more noble. Here's why. The Lord set his love on you because, here it is. What is it? Because whatever it is, I want it. Because he loved you. That's it. Nothing in me, nothing in you. Nothing in Israel, nothing in Jacob, nothing in us. It is all based on God's love and grace. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Recognizing the fullness of God's gracious love, His love extended to us freely and without condition, His unmerited favor is humbling. There's no room for boasting here at Fellowship Bible Church. We are all sinners saved by grace. If you boast in your religious merits, in your works, in your acceptance before God, boasting is a display of theological ignorance. Could I say stupidity? You know nothing of the gospel if you boast. In your position before Christ because of something in you, it is because of Christ. It is humbling. It also highlights the precarious position that we were in. That we deserved God's wrath. Just like everyone else. The Old Testament prophet said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And we were part of that all. We deserved God's wrath, but instead we received mercy. We were no different than those whom God delivers over to eternal hell every day. Think of that. I'll touch on this a moment a little more later, but think of that. Every moment, God hands people over to eternal hell. There was a day you were in that line and God in His love put you on the hearing of the gospel and you responded by his grace and you're his child. It's humbling. It's liberating. We're freed from all the uncertainty of, of making efforts somehow. I need to hold on to God's favor. I've got to do things. I have obligation. I've got to increase my love, increase my goodness, increase my church attendance, increase my worth, whatever it is. It's liberating. God loved you because, because He loved you while you were a sinner. Nothing in you. We are secure. Our position as God's children, His treasured precious possession is founded on God's unchanging love. It's sourced in His character, not ours. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. He will never let us go because He's loved us with a love that will never end. His character will, will never fall short. He has a hold of us and it's because of His love a number of years ago, there was a bestseller that told the story of an of a orphanage here in New England in days gone by. One of the themes and the early themes of that book was, was that it became very apparent that the boys in that, that orphanage wanted to be adopted. 
They wanted parents to love them. And from time to time, the parents would would come into the orphanage and kind of, you know, be looking for a son to adopt. And those kids began, those boys began to go through all the motions to get the parents' attention. (laughs) You know, comb out the cowlick, you know, doing backflips, put on their best clothes and their knickers. And maybe if they could play the piano, they're playing the piano. If they could juggle the soccer ball, they would just, look at me, love me, take me. Trying to get their attention. From the, from the bottom of their heart, yelling, trying to get the favor of these ones. Look at what I can do. We don't have to do that with God. God did not select you because you didn't have a cowlick or you were better than someone else. He loved you in spite of what you are. He loved you because it is his character to love. This text tells us something else about God's love. First of all, it tells us this, here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. It tells us this, the first point of this message. God's love is freely bestowed. He initiates the relationship. He reached out to us as sinners. And hear me, folks. He's reaching out once again to you today. If you have never come to Christ, if you never realized that you're a sinner and that Christ is the one who died for your sin to save you from God's right and just wrath, right now, by His grace, once again, you're under the hearing of the gospel. Wow. Why you? Of all the people in the Merrimack Valley, why are you here? Of all the people in the world, those who live in places who may have one, if ever, opportunity to even to hear the name of Jesus. You're here, and you're hearing it again! Will you respond? Jesus one time said, how I would gather you as a hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. Opportunity, you're hearing the gospel. Believe. Trust Christ. But this text tells us something else. It tells us that this love was demonstrated. It tells us that it cost God. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's grace extended to you as a sinner did not and could not preclude God's justice against sin. I could put it this way. God could not just love you into His presence without first caring for your sin. Rather, taking care of your sin. He couldn't just love you into His presence. God couldn't say, I want to extend grace to sinners. And so, I'm God. I'll simply hmm, overlook sin. Love triumphs. Everyone gets to go to heaven. And extend grace that way. There are some things God cannot do. And one of such things is to not be true to his character. God cannot overlook sin. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. This is a a, a truth about God that highlights the gospel, that highlights Christ's death for us, and yet it is hard for me to get my mind around. It's hard for me to preach it. 
and yet the gospel is not preached, and yet unless this is proclaimed. The glory of God's justice and righteousness is declared by His wrath against sin. The fact that He hands sinners over to a place the Bible calls the lake of fire every moment magnifies His holy character. God in His justice will never overlook sin. He will not overlook your sin. He will not. His just character demands that sin be dealt with. And God deals with sin every moment. I want you to feel the weight of that. As I said before, every moment, God justly hands people over to a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. It's hard for me to grasp that. And yet the gospel is not proclaimed and Christ is not glorified and the necessity of His death for sin is not understood and the enormity of His love is never grasped until you recognize that the soul that sins shall die and that death is eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. And God justly and rightly and in keeping with His holy character hands people over to eternal justice every moment. And if you are outside of Christ, without respect of persons, He will hand you over. And it will be right. God is under no obligation to save anyone. There is a whole group of created beings who rebelled against God and God did nothing to save them. The fallen angels are fixed in their state. They are amazing creatures far surpassing us in the glory of, of their created being. And they rebelled against a holy God and God in His justice has done nothing to save any of them. And He is right in doing so. And yet, God to demonstrate His love purposed to save you. Because of His love, He was willing to rescue us even at the cost of the death of His Son. It was a sacrifice motivated by God's love and required because of God's righteous character, a character that cannot overlook sin. And so Christ's death here is called a propitiation. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a sacrifice that turns the wrath of God to favor. You may not even realize it, but you sang about propitiation this morning. You sang in before the throne of God above, for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That is a propitiation. God's justice satisfied in Christ. Sometimes the word propitiation is caught up in the theme of mercy seat. And the mercy seat was that, that golden cover of the Ark of the Covenant 
that play, that box that was put in the Holy of Holies. And there in the Ark of the Covenant, among other things, was the law of God, which we had broken. The law that stands and condemns us. And above that Ark was the, was the glory of God. God's justice hanging over us, looking at the law we had broken. And there in the mercy seat, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the atonement, the blood of that lamb, once a year. And God would see that sacrifice. And, and looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ one day, our sin would, would be covered. That's the mercy seat. The place where God and sinners can meet and be reconciled. That place is a person. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bridged the gap fully and finally. On the cross, the full and complete wrath of God against sin, my sin was poured out on Christ. The penalty paid. And I now stand before God, not as a guilty criminal, before a just judge whose law has been offended, who must hand down the judgment against me, God who rightly said the soul who sins must die, God who's not a respecter of persons, who will not look down and say, oh, Bob Emily, ah, yeah, okay. I know you're a sinner, and I know you're outside of Christ, but you know, you're know you Bob, okay. Without respecter of persons, the soul that sinned must die. I have offended that law, but because I am in Christ, because there was a day in this church I heard the gospel. And by grace I responded. I am a sinner who is now forgiven. I am a sinner whose record condemns me for, before God, but who now God doesn't look at my record, but looks at Christ's record. And so now I am a child of God. And I have a Father who is my Creator, who delights in me. I have a place of favor that is secure forever. Why did this change take place in God's dealing with me? 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. He died in my place. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. God's love is freely and graciously given and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love um, sent, moved Him to rescue us at great cost. Christ is the mercy seat. In Him, we have God's favor. I'd like to begin my conclusion by just reading a portion of a sermon that was preached by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a contemporary with, with D.L. Moody. And he preached this message at the end of a message that he preached on Good Friday in um, the late 1800s. He said this about Christ. We ought to accept Christ as being an all-sufficient propitiation. Whether my sin is little or it is great, whether it is fresh or old, it is the same sin. And blessed be God, it has all been atoned for through Christ the propitiation. We ought to take Christ as being the death of every sin and of all sin, as having expunged and wiped out the great debt as well as the little. The sin that seems to us to be a, a weight of 10,000 pounds on our back as well as the sin that seems to be 
just small, just an ounce. We have never gotten the full idea of Christ till we know that every sin of thought, of word, of deed that the believer has ever been guilty of finds its death, its drowning, its total annihilation in the propitiation which God has sent forth. Whoever you may be, whatever your past life has been, whatever your present feelings now are, entrust your soul with Christ and God declares that your sins are put away. Put your soul as it is. I care not how black with sin. It matters not how depraved it is. Put it here on that mercy seat which God has set forth and you have put it where God commanded you put it and its salvation rests no more with you. You have put your salvation into Christ's hands and it's His business to save you. And He will do it. I do not know how it is, but this simple doctrine is the hardest doctrine to make clear. It is so easy and yet many will mystify and doubt it. What? No good works? No good feelings? All these are the fruits of grace. But salvation does not depend upon good works. They are the result of so salvation. Salvation is in Christ, holy in Christ, in Christ alone. In the moment any of you do trust him genuinely to be your sole and only Savior, you have accepted God's propitiation, and God has accepted you. It is not possible for the Lord unless he could reverse his nature, stain his honor, belie his character, make his word a farce, and the atonement of Christ a falsehood to reject any man under heaven who believes in Christ and takes him to be his all in all. As we sang this morning, it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I come to him. He'll never cast me out. This ends my fear and doubt. If we were to be coming to the Lord's table, I would say something like this. We gather at this table to remember that Jesus Christ died for our sins. To call to mind so vividly the death of Christ and its glorious implications that it is as though we are eyewitnesses. As though we are taking the first step of faith. I want you to remember that the thing that Jesus does for us to remember what it is to, to follow Him and, and to be in Christ. We don't gather on a regular basis and have an authority of the church stand up and read God's law and then say, go try harder. We come to the Lord's table and we remem remember Christ who died for us and kept the law that we couldn't keep and we rest in Him. I would say to you, if we were coming to the table, bring your sin to the terrible cross this morning. Terrible. In that you will look and see the dying Christ, the Lamb of God. He died for your sin. He's there because the only thing you brought to the equation for your salvation is your sin. And as a believer, be moved to know that you can't walk past that scene and continue in sin. Let the terrible cross move you to repentance and let go of that sin. Would you walk before the bleeding Savior and hang on to your sin? The gospel needs to be preached to His children. The cross needs to be remembered so that we would let go of sin 
If you can walk by the Lord's table and remember Christ's death and hang on to your sin, God have mercy on your soul. Bring your sin to the wonderful cross this morning and see the demonstration of God's love for you who sent His Son to die in your place. And know that this love for you continues. Trust Him. Rest in His full acceptance of you. If He did not spare His Son, will He now withhold any good thing from you? You're His child. His promises will not fail. Rest in His acceptance. When did sin ever provide such love? Bring your sin to the powerful cross this morning and see the condemnation that you deserve poured out on Christ. And so, it is all gone. Know the freedom of forgiveness, total forgiveness. Rest in the fullness of His grace. The release from the chains of the law that can do nothing but condemn you. They can only demand that you keep working, but never deliver you from sin. Look at the powerful cross and realize that in Christ you've been delivered. Surround yourself with the gospel and over time you will grow in grace and by grace. God will change you. Sin will lose its grip on you and the Spirit will produce the fruits of righteousness. Let the promise of the gospel fill you where sin and the stuff of this passing world and living for self never could. Always those things left you empty and dissatisfied and craving for more. Keep believing and resting in the promises of the gospel. Soak in these truths. Let the gospel move you to repentance once again. To understand your acceptance in Christ, your freedom, your hope, your purpose, your peace. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not just the way in, it's the way forward. And this is why God continues to bring us back to His death for us. To Christ. Because it's in this atmosphere that as we surround ourselves with the gospel, real transformation and real growth will take place. Once again, in God's grace, you have heard the gospel. If you are outside of Christ, fly to Him. If you are in Christ, continue to hold on to Him. And although we're here this morning not coming to the Lord's table, let's do something else in worship that God has commanded us to do, and that is sing the great truths. I invite the orchestra to come, and we're going to sing the power of the cross. A song that really is the sermon that I just preached. The best kind of singing is congregational singing. You have an opportunity now to provoke one another to the importance of the truths that you just heard preached to let others know that it is Christ you're hanging on to. To be able to use this message and this song Attached to this tune to lift up Christ. May these truths, if necessary, move you to renewed repentance. For some, just cause you to breathe a sigh of relief when you feel the demands of the law condemning you just to go, I'm in Christ. It's okay. I'm safe. And if you can sing this song, as it calls to mind your to your mind the sacrifice of Christ and still lay hold of sin. Something's not right. That these truths should cause you to let go of your sin and to cling to Christ. Do you have the words to this song in front of you? You do. Okay.
We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3, and then I'm going to ask you to stand on verse 4. To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, born and beaten then. Nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame for the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross. As we sing the second, I'm going to ask the orchestra to drop out. Just the piano and the organ and the congregation join us on the third. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, Crowning your blood-stained brow, this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the crown beneath. Wakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame for the wrath. We stand forgiven at. Stand in honor of your Savior, 
Oh, to see my name. Oh, to see my name. Written in the world. For through your suffering, I am Rush to death, life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This the power of the cross, Son of God. For us, what a love! What a love! What a cost! What a cost! We stand forgiven at the cross. Father, may these truths be as fresh in our hearts today as the moment we believed. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. If we take our sin and bring it to Him, we can leave it there, forever forgiven, forever removed. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Having been loved in such a great way, how can we not love others? Father, make the gospel live out in our lives. May Christ be seen in us. Thank you that we've been able to worship you this morning. May the truths of this song, the truths of the message, be evident in this church until Jesus comes. In his name we pray. Amen.